Hennessy Files podcast series. Proudly presented by Aloha Surf Nanley. In this week's episode of the Hennessy Files, we are on the beautiful far north coast of New South Wales to interview two incredibly talented surfers, both on their own individual journeys in their careers. WCT surfer Wade Carmichael and QS charger Cooper Chapman are great mates who feed off each other's enthusiasm and love of their sport. Great to sit down for a chat with the boys today, so welcome in, legends. Thank you, mate. Good to be here. Yeah, stoked to be here, Dimmy. Pumped. So the last three months have been a little bit strange in Australia. What are you two been up to in the uh, hiatus? First of all, you, Wade, you know, getting ready for 2020. Has it been a big shock? Yeah, fairly big shock. Uh, I was getting pretty pumped to start the year at Snapper, just getting everything dialed in. And then it all happened so quick. And I had my feet up cruising before I knew it. And I've just, I've actually been enjoying it. I um, got my home up here now and... It's actually probably the first time I've got to spend some time there and enjoy where I live and I've been surfing more than ever, fishing more than ever and uh, yeah, just really enjoying myself. Question, financially, like being on the tour, you can earn good money. Has it been a burden financially as well and where does WSL sit with that? I know that pretty sure you guys got two payments for the first two events. So moving forward, has there been any sort of indication of where that's at for you guys? No, nah, there hasn't been any indication at all. I'm still waiting to hear what's going to happen. Uh, I've heard a few of the boys have got on the um, ScoMo package. And, um, Best ever. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Surf team. It's yeah. like the Bob Hawks surf team back in the day. Yeah, they're not complaining. And Coops, what about you being on the QS? You know, how have you had to handle you know, the adjustment? You've been keeping pretty busy, but as a competitor, how have you handled the situation? Yeah, it's been pretty interesting. I mean, we at least got our year started. We had a few events at the start of the year with Manly, Newcastle, and those couple smaller events in Oz. And I had a f- one. I went okay at Avoca, and I felt like I was surfing pretty good. And then Manly and Newcastle just didn't quite go to plan, which is, I guess, surfing. And then, yeah, had the bags packed, ready to go to New Zealand, cars booked, place booked. And then the day that we were meant to fly to New Zealand, they said it was two-week quarantine and the borders were locked in New Zealand. So that kind of just changed everything. And yeah, for me, it's actually been pretty positive, to be honest. I've had quite a lot of things that I've not given the amount of time that I'd like to have given them over the last, I mean, 15 years, really, since I've been seven professionally. It's a pretty full-time gig when you're training for the next event. I've been sort of saying to friends, like, we're usually training for an event that's never really further than three months away is like your longest downtime. Whereas now there's, like Wade said, the foreseeable future, there's still not going to be any surf comps. So yeah, I think it's just been nice to focus on other things and put a bit of put a bit of time and energy into things that might get a bit neglected, I guess, due to being a professional surfer. You guys are normally away during winter. Wade's been pumping. You've been loving it? Yeah, I mean, I just moved to Byron Bay Oh, a month ago now, and I, the three days before I was meant to move in, Wade was like, come up a few days early, the way going to be cooking, I'll get the ski out, and yeah, drove up on a Friday, and Saturday morning, we were standing in barrels, and I mean, it feels like we haven't really had a day off in the last month, it's been absolutely cooking, I mean, Wade can tell you about that, some of the stuff, edits he's been putting out, some of the footage has been pretty cool, so for me, surfing-wise, it's been 
I'm blown away that I haven't done it earlier. I mean, I've lived in Sydney my whole life and now I'm up here. I've got a surf buddy with Wade every day. I've got the HPC training center here that I can train at on disposal. And then, yeah, just kind of getting out of that rat race of Sydney. The wave quality is just far better when the swell's south and the wind's south up here, which is all the winter usually at home. Wade, what about you? Waves been pumping. You've been getting amongst it every day? Yeah, every day for sure. I can't believe the the quality this year's we've had like it's it's non-stop it's non-stop and the conditions like the weather patterns that's been going on there's been no wind westerlies all day like the other that last that last big swell we had it was eight days of west all day and i, I haven't seen that in a long time and that was in may and i've like there's, we always know there's good waves in may and like for when i was younger being at avoca it's always a good time of the year and it was, it, was a, it was a pretty active um, weather system going on out there. But this year has just been so sick. And I, I haven't been home for a May, June in, I reckon, four or five years for like a long period of time. And it's, it's been really refreshing. I actually seen Tommy Witts um, passing by on the ski during that swell. And he's like, how good's this? And we're just losing our minds. It was like day five or something, just getting tubed off our heads. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And he's like... I was like, I'm missing May so many years in a row now. And he goes, you know what, mate? This is, in, this is my first May home in 20 years. Wow. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. Like, it's been, like, you missed, we're like missing out on that for 20 years. Like, it's, it's pretty huge. And yet, like, just to get that consistency of waves and, and um, we're always traveling. Like, you don't realize how much we miss from going overseas and traveling. But we, like, we still score over there, but it's just a kind of special place to be in this time of year now talk about yourself you come from avoca and uh you moved up a couple of years ago what was the catalyst for you actually making the move up the coast was it wave quality or more to the point to be you know closer to this facility which is hpc uh the hpc was a huge drive for me and i've done i think it might have been three mini moves before my major move in like since I was 18, just kind of come up, crash at the mate's house for six months and then run out of money and go back to mum and dad's. And uh, then I rented a place for two years, oh, one year um, when I was like 19 and then ran out of money again, went home. And then I always like loved being up here. And then the more I got involved with the HPC and like Avoca is a pretty small town and you're locked into like not really that much going on except just surfing and um i found it really hard to just get motivated to train and and then like get into the airport for me was a huge thing it's two hours each way so like that was difficult and now i'm 15 minutes to the airport and i can just uber there and not have to stress about getting home or getting there and everything's kind of just fell into place where it's like a bit more convenient and the lifestyle where i get to surf every day and train in here every day is just kind of been perfect for me and coops you're uh, up at byron at the moment for a couple of months you reckon you'll ever you know make the move from narrabeen up here full time i mean ask me like two months ago if i'd ever leave narrabeen i probably would have said no but i mean now i'm up here i'm kind of like what have i been doing the last couple of years obviously money's a big one and being able to like wade said live at home with the family is a lot easier to afford i guess doing the QS without a sponsor and Wade can attest for that too. It's pretty expensive and having no sponsor makes it very difficult to be paying rent somewhere when you're not 
there so that's why this covid thing's been amazing for me anyway because i've got six months where my expenses have disappeared with traveling so i can spend that money on moving up here and yeah focusing on getting my surfing better focusing on building my business and focus on just being happy and surfing all day and like wade said having this training facilities right here at our fingertips like surfing australia and the australian government yeah the australian government have funded so much money into this facility and it's at our fingertips and we've been given this opportunity to be on scholarship here and i just feel like i've completely underutilized it my whole career and i'm like i'm getting older now i'm not a grommet anymore i feel like i need to really if i'm going to get on that world tour which is a big dream that i need to give it everything and i feel like i've just kind of been dipping my toes in like wade said as well i've moved up here a few times and lived at the hbc for a month or two training blocks but now that i'm here full time i think it's gonna yeah bring my surfing leaps and bounds forward this facility how important for both of you guys i'll get you to say talk first but how important has it been to your development like how good a facility just walking around here it's pretty amazing to look at the different kind of things you can get involved in how big uh and a key part of your your growth is the hpc yeah for sure i mean we've got we're so lucky that surfing australia has created this program where there's like the sort of pathways for the younger guys coming through and i was i was heavily involved in that up with surfing australia and the hpc from i guess very early in my career from like going to isa worlds when we used to do training in the little demountables down there and just the journey that's happened i guess through the middle of the peak of both of our careers it's been really cool to be involved in that journey and have that have that opportunity to sort of be in touch and help them grow and we've had like different trainers come through over the years and i feel like we've landed at this like amazing spot right now obviously being in the olympics surfing got a big bit of funding from the government and they've built this second to none training facility it's the best surf training facility in the world by far so i feel like if i'm not up here using it it's pretty stupid to be honest what about you wado yeah i owe this place a lot like i've spent so much time here and i come in here every other day pretty much just either to train get physio or just as um we got the my surf boys filming here we do sessions once twice a week out in the in the surf and the routine while i'm home i can get into so easily because this facility here is perfect and i owe these guys so much like we do so much in the gym and when bead and we I, we can get to the beach sometimes and have four or five of the crew that who are so genuinely happy and want you to get better and it just makes you want to push yourself and do everything you can to get better with it with them as well and all the supports there and you you feel it as soon as you walk in the doors and i i just enjoy coming in here it's a great space to be and it's just it's pushed myself into places i wouldn't have expected to get to you two are really good mates as grommets, were you both on the same team? You were both with Rukel when you were young. Is that correct? Were you with Rukel? I was with Rukel uh, for a few years. Coop, you were with it when I, I think when I first started. Coops was on Rukel, and then, um, and then maybe like Hurley. a year after, you were, you were with Hurley. But we didn't really hang out then. Yeah. We we kind of met yeah when we were about twenty, I think, and you were uh, nineteen. And then uh, when I was on the QS, and we just started traveling together then had a good um, headspace and routine going through those years and it's always good times. I'll ask you both. I saw a lot of you guys as juniors. Wade, you always came across as that quiet, unassuming kind of guy who'd come down, get the work done and then go home. 
but in saying that, you're always in the mix when it came to major results. Coops, well, you're a little bit louder in your demeanour during that period. But for both of you, who were your main rivals during that junior career? We, yeah. I, I reckon the first two years, me and Coops became friends and travelling a lot. The amount of times um, we didn't haven't really surfed against that against each other that many times in the QS, but in the pro juniors, I think I beat Coops yeah. like five times in the in that one year hey and he was so off me he was <laughs> so that, off me were you really keen? yeah <laughs> Mate, our junior career because it because it obviously wade's two years older than me but it was we were right around that age where you could transition to the qs when you're 18 and kind of get rid of the juniors yeah and we probably we both started we both got fifth in world juniors the same year and then transition onto the qs i would have been 18 and you would have been 20 or 19 and 21 but th- that year, I think I won the first event of the year in the Philippines and it was when the ratings were all weird and I got like a massive points boost and just like every event, Wade, would just claw a little bit closer towards <laughs> me, the bastard. And I kept drawing him in the quarters and every time he'd like get ahead and then sit on me, he was my kryptonite. But I think that kind of is what formed our friendship. We kind of had this like rivalry, but it was like, it wasn't like a rivalry with other guys where you'd come in and be pissed off. You were just like, you were best mates. So we couldn't really do much about it. But yeah, I think that one year I got second two years in a row in the junior series and the two, I think I got second to you and I got second to Solly. And so the two guys that I've traveled with my whole career are the two guys that beat me. Isn't it really weird that in surfing, the guys you're pretty much closest to are the guys you love to beat the most. I remember from our beach, Dayan and Kai, they hated each other when it came to, you know, being in the water, they'd rip into each other. But on land, they could let it go and be mates, but they'd still have a good rip into each other all the time. Is that true? Like, you like to beat your mates more than you like to beat anyone else? I like beating everybody. <laughs> but it, it did feel good to beat Coops. Because <laughs> so we could have a beer after and laugh and then there was some dudes that you competed and just never really got along with and it was just kind of set and gone after, after the heat was over. So it was, it was good to actually talk about it and be like, oh, I got you a good one and like at the start of that heat or like a good kind of battle. And that, that, that was like, that's what we both enjoyed doing. So... And to talk about it and enjoy it was pretty epic. Yeah, I remember talking to Bantin about this and he said, you know, he used to travel with Creed. And he said that one day, you know, he smoked Creed in an event. He said Creed wouldn't talk to him for like a week and they were staying in the same house. And he was like, why isn't he talking to me, Dad? <laughs> uh, you know, some guys just can't let it go. Because yeah, Matt never let anyone beat him in the juniors. <laughs> me and Matt were the same age and I reckon he won he every that. event. He said, he said you were always in the final. You, Creed, me, Creed and him and, 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 and Noah. Noah. Yeah, us four. And just like Matt was... Oh, I think there was a. I think in his junior career, he might have like not made one final in the under 16s his I'm, whole career. I'm pretty sure he has a stat like the best stat of all time, where he made I think it was something like 48 or maybe 50 finals in a row wow. in a junior career. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, the guy. How does that free. happen? He he's an East Coast warrior, Banting. He and the junior junior series was mainly based on the east coast and you can he still does it now with all the um the qs's like this, this year he's just been on a tear he just surfs these waves so good he always comes out of the blocks and he always like gets solid starts in australia pretty weird i had a chat with him as well and he was saying that praying that you know those points carry over if we don't go again he said mate i didn't go to china i didn't go to all these joints early i focused on the three events in oz and i came away with three results so for him someone like him Keeping those points, if WSL happened to uh, cancel the whole year, very important. 
Very important. That's that's still, I guess, another point that hasn't been risen or confirmed what's going to happen. So it seems fair that they keep the points and just carry it over for next year with everything that's going to happen. But we don't really know, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping they don't. You don't, eh? <laughs> um, no, I don't care if they keep the points, but I hope they don't go, all right, the guys are in the top 100 after the first four events are the new top 100 on the QS because nah, I'll I don't get chopped it. out. I'm in like 120 right now. No, I don't think that will happen. I reckon that they'll just eventually, if it doesn't go ahead, they'll, anyone who's carrying points will keep those points. Mm, and yeah. if you can build on your actual drop-offs, that's how it'll, it'll take place. Seems logical, but there's some weird shit you happens. Uh, it's a privately owned entity. It'll be easy to do though because it, instead of being like the standard 18 and a half, 20,000 points that you need to qualify, usually on the QS, it'll be like 24,000 and... It's not going to make a huge difference. It's all the same people. So let's talk about a more serious subject matter, boys. Cooper, a couple of years ago, you created a new business called The Good Human Factory. How did that come about, buddy? I've been asked this a lot lately, and the story kind of went that my little sister came home and lost a few friends to suicide, and that's kind of, that's completely true, and that's how I first, I guess, described why I started it. But then I kind of realized recently that I lost an uncle to suicide when I was about 10 years old and it affected my dad quite a bit. And then just growing up my whole childhood, my dad suffered depression and was pretty open about it and saw psychologists and it stemmed a lot back to alcohol for him. And he's been sober for eight years and he's been in a great headspace. But I think from that young age, I saw that my dad had depression and it scared the shit out of me that I was going to get it because it's hereditary. Like it runs in the family. Like he has it, his brother lost his life to it. And I think it stems back to that. And then when my little, so I'd always been pretty, I mean, Wade can tell you, like I'd always read books about self-development and trying to like, I guess, unlock the brain and get the most out of myself. And then, yeah, my little sister came home from school two years ago and said she'd lost a friend to suicide. And I was like, far out, that sucks. That should not be happening, especially not, on the, well, not anywhere, but not on the Northern beaches where we have the most beautiful lifestyle and beautiful life and, you know what I mean? High socioeconomic status and people the kids are taking their life and then two weeks later she came home and said somebody else had taken their life another friend and i was like far out what can i do and i feel like that's the feeling that we all get when some sort of big event happens you go like what can i do and and nowadays anyway it's like you'll do a post on social media or something and i was like nah fuck that i'm gonna actually do something i've been lucky enough and i'm so grateful for the life that i've been given i guess traveling the world surfing working with great sports psychologists working with great sports scientists and just getting to live the life that i have i was like i've felt not this responsibility but i felt like i've learned so much that i have a lot to share and i feel like anytime you learn anything if you're keeping it to yourself you're not like doing the world a favor and so i was like i'm going to create this little mental health business mental resilience business i'm trying to like market it because i'm not a psychologist i'm trying to avoid the word mental health but so from there my dad was like why don't you run some um talks at schools and talk to kids about what you do daily to keep your mental health in check because i guess one in five men or one in five people in australia are going to suffer a diagnosed mental illness but five in five of us have mental health it doesn't matter like if you have an illness or not we all have to look after our mental health so i kind of been running off that and been going to schools and talking to kids about building resilience and just sharing my story and mine's basically about like meditation daily gratitude journaling um, philosophy trying to live by meaning and live by something deeper than just going by your everyday life like actually having a why and standing for something and then just all the little tricks and tips that I do daily and I've been sharing that with kids it's been growing quite nicely I've just yeah launched a podcast as well called good humans with podcast one which has been really cool just letting people have that platform to open up and share their stories for resilience because I feel like the best way we learn 
is through hearing stories and that's why we're sitting here today with you Dimmy to share a story and hopefully somebody can learn something from this talk too yeah I think being involved in this sport for 25 years it's been one of my real bugbears over the years that we haven't really focused on the mental health of the athletes and the people who are involved in the whole industry I mean personally myself I'm not ashamed to say it over the years I've suffered from depression and when it first evolved for me I would push it to a side and the way I'd get away with it was to keep ultra busy so my life became all about club events and i'd do it so much to a point where i could basically switch anything that was in my head off because the way i live my life is i try to be positive and i dedicate my life to other people but sometimes you don't actually let that happen to yourself and you, you sort of forget the one person who's important which is you so i think overall not just in sport but in general people tend to like try to push it to the side and that's why i'm so proud of what you're doing because i think that people need to be more open do you agree with that yeah for sure and i've been doing some work with lifeline and the ais actually in a program called the community custodians which is about kind of showing that mental health doesn't discriminate doesn't matter who you are you can suffer from a mental illness and some of the stats are crazy like the stats of suicide in australia i think there was over three thousand suicides last year it's like one every six hours or something crazy and then the other thing is like with men i think it's something like one in three men in australia feel like they don't have someone that they can talk to and that's crazy because i mean we live in such a beautiful place and it's so it is hard to open up but i think the more that we can have organizations like my own and like I think just people being open about chatting and like you just then admitting that you suffer from depression, getting it out really helps. And I had a great chat with Ryan Carlin in one of my podcasts and I hope he won't mind me sharing it. He's talked about it on mine, but he tried to separate his personal and professional life. And until he like, Got his, yeah until he got his personal life under control then his professional started to flourish and i think people take too long to realize that sometimes so i guess the more people that can be open about it and the more people that can start i guess sharing their story that it, it inspires other people to take action as well we all see what's driving coops in his mission these days to help others how stoked are you Ado, to see him develop and give back not only to surfers but to the community in general yeah it's amazing i'm i'm proud of the young fellow just all the stuff he's been doing has been incredible and I reckon I know like you said before about me on the Pro Junior series like being quiet and Coops was being like the kind of louder more chatty person and it, Coops, is, Coops drew stuff out of me back then that before you even started this I reckon and um, got me thinking and like we even had conversations like when I was like 21 and stuff just just general conversations where you're going through processes that because like if anyone who knows me i don't really talk to like about that stuff at all like i'm you're quiet i'm pretty quiet reserved i don't express that much emotion my chick hates it most people hate it i express it in my own way i guess and and i can coops taught me that even before he started the good human factory and i don't know if you would know that or not but i like we've had the like just our friendships just being kind of built around that because he's the one that does a lot of talking and i just kind of stand back and let him take over and i can kind of see it all um flowing but then to now he's grown it into the good human factory and he's doing it with huge amounts of people and touching people who need his help and he's got the skills to process that situation it's really cool to see and he's doing a great thing the government should be backing you you, you should be one of these people coops that funding should come through because i think the younger generation of people like you say you go to school i think it's really key to get these issues and to get these platforms out to the younger kids 
before they you know come through their mm. teens into their adolescence how are you approaching that have you approached the government what can we do to try to help you with that <laughs> the funding's a funny one but i guess the the way that i see mental health like i said before it doesn't matter who you are if you don't have a mental illness doesn't mean you don't have to look after your mental health and i think we're just missing the point with a lot of education that it's like when you get to a point of crisis call lifeline when you get to a point of crisis do this go see a psychologist but we're letting people get to that point of crisis because they don't have the skills to not get there if that makes sense so i'm trying to teach people that hey if you're having a bad day don't suck don't bottle it in maybe go try meditate and like really reflect on how you're feeling maybe journal about it maybe think about what you're grateful for there's all these small things and this i'm studying a science of well-being course with the AL university right now just a short online course and some of the data and statistics and whatnot behind stuff is crazy and it's just stuff that i'm like why weren't we taught in this at school like there's one um little experiment they did where they gave i think there's like a thousand people they gave them 20 bucks and they said you can go and spend 20 dollars on yourself or you can go and use that $20 and spend it on someone else. And they didn't tell them. And then they, um, you had to fill out a happiness survey where you get your happiness meter before and after. And the, all the people who spent their $20 on someone else were happier than the person, than if you spent it on yourself. So I think that idea of giving and having gratitude. And so I think there's all these little skills that you can learn that we're not teaching at schools. And that's where I'm hoping I can bridge that gap that I can be a young and cool pro surfer talking about mental health and me and my friend Alex Hayes like he's really in the space as well and I think it's just like being conscious that you can be a young loud taking the piss Aussie pro surfer but still take care of your mental health and still take care of your physical health it's just as important so I think just getting those skills to kids from a younger age but I guess going back to your point about the funding I did apply for a government grant last year that went to a voting system that I ended up missing out by like one one point out of a thousand I was gonna get 60 grand to be able to go and do the talks full-time and not have to work a real job long story short I missed out on that I'm kind of happy right now trying to avoid being too tied in with the government I'd rather be on my own and run it as a business and make it into something where I can make a living and make a successful living out of it, but still be helping people. I mean, there's no crime in that. I actually think that our sport needs to be more aware of how their athletes are placed when it comes to mental health, because the NRL are doing it better than anyone. Like mm-hmm. if you if you notice, like honestly, you'll see a lot of guys come out now in the NRL where 20 years ago they wouldn't. They'll say, you know, I'm going into a rehab. I'm suffering from mental health and they're not ashamed of that anymore. I think that our sport needs to be very, very aware of where their athletes stand Mm. with their mental health. Do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I feel like it's tough because the WSL is, I guess, a global enterprise. Surfing Australia does a great job with us. We've got um, a careers advisor, Michelle, right now. And she, I guess, I think one of the hardest things with surfing with any sport is the transition after your career and surfing australia are really helping us with that which is great and i think that adds so much anxiety to being a surfer it's like being a professional athlete it's your be all and end all and especially being a surfer it's it's not we don't have seasons like i guess the footy players can work in their off season if they really need to whereas surfing's a full-time gig there's it's very hard to juggle but yeah, Surfing Australia has been great for us. We have a sports psych that helps us and he's been a massive help with me, Jason Patchell, with our, um, with for one, my business and for two, my personal growth to like find what works for me. But yeah, I, I think there is a duty of care there, but it's just like... It's and, a hard and, one, isn't it? And there's the signs. I mean, I've got to tread lightly here, but like Sonny Garcia, if you followed his social media before his accident, 
there was yells for help and I'm not close enough with Sonny that I would have reached out but and I'm it's definitely nothing against any of his friends but it's sometimes depression and it just grabs people like unbelievably and it's it is knowing the signs and being more educated and I think the hardest thing is knowing what to do if somebody's like that and and it's not easy it's really not easy and sometimes it can be just listening to people and having a chat and letting them open up and not trying to offer advice that's the best advice I can give to someone that I've learned through doing mental health first aid training just listening and then telling them that you, you you're hearing them and that's what some people just need to do is listen you made a point there which is very important yeah, the signs might be there, but people with depression more or less will find a way to shut themselves out from everyone else. They'll shut themselves mm-hmm. down to a point where they just will not let anyone in, into their bubble. So it's easy for people to go, yeah, he's suffering or that surface suffering or someone else is suffering, but it's more the individual to mm-hmm. seek the help that is more important than someone else noticing it because people, they've got to be open to get help. Yeah, and I think that comes back to having someone confidentially being able to talk to. And I think that's what Surfing Australia does great with us. They encourage us to work with Jace. And he's, I mean, if anyone's met Jason Patchell, he's probably the easiest guy to talk to about your feelings out of anyone in the world. And I'm sure Wade can say that too. But I think it's just knowing that you have someone there to listen if you need to. So, I mean, it would be great if the WSL had a sports psych that checked in on all the athletes and gave them that safe spot to talk. Because, yeah, like you said, a lot of the times it is bottled up and it's, people make it their job to or make it their full-time gig to make it look like they're not suffering and probably when like you said you were suffering depression i'm sure there wasn't many people that knew about that when you were suffering i just think there needs to be a little bit more focus moving forward because there is a lot of pressure for you guys to be athletes people think you know pro surfing is the lights and the shine and all the fame or whatever but it's not it's a career and it's one of the toughest sports in the world because you're literally flying to all corners of the globe for a very short period of time where you could lose by 0.01 of a point and, and have to go home subjective the yeah judges. it's subjective <laughs> what do you th- actually both of you wait what do you think it, like how hard can it be mentally sometimes with that because it is one of the only sports in the world where it's subjective and it basically comes down to a judging panel very much like gymnastics yeah it's hard the there's every, we've all had close calls and there's there's different ways to deal with it like i remember growing up and seeing people throw boards and <laughs> yell at the judges or just whatever there's everyone lets their emotions out differently and kind of learnt how to deal with it yourself along the way and it's it's hard to like with those judges because we we give everything we've got in that half an hour we get in the water and if they don't think you've given it enough they can make it yeah like you said the 0.01 of a score less and it's all over for you you're going home and you got to watch them do their job for the rest of the like rest of the event and it's just it it can take a toll but i guess we've learned there's i don't think there's any way of changing that really it's so such a difficult way and it's such a versatile sport where we like it's just it is what it is and we got i've had to deal with a lot of losses like that myself and you just gotta keep building and moving on i guess